The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, o Christ. Prior to March 2020, never, ever, not even once, did I imagine that there would be or even consider that there could be a suspension of gathering together with a congregation for worship. But then, as we all know, COVID. And just as people all over the world experienced, stay-at-home orders kept us apart for eight months. Our services here at St. Philip the Deacon were exclusively live-streamed and led by a very small team of worship leaders in an otherwise empty sanctuary. When restrictions began to lift and we were able to gather in person once again, those very first services were characterized by social distancing and masks and limited numbers, along with the absence of congregational singing, the distribution of communion and fellowship. Those first services were also characterized by deep emotion expressed by those who were back here for the first time after so many long months away. There were tears and there were expressions of joy as people re-entered this church home. As for me, at my first service, with just 30 people present in this space, my heart was so filled with the joy of simply being back together, of simply seeing faces in the pews, that my voice quivered unexpectedly as I began with the words I have spoken thousands of times before. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion, the blessed communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. As I prepared for this sermon, I was reminded of our pandemic, begun nearly two years ago. And more specifically, I was reminded of that return to in-person worship. This reading from the eighth chapter of Nehemiah, which you heard read just a few minutes ago, 
is, it a, is a favorite of mine for all kinds of reasons, not the least of which is how it informs so much of what we do when we gather. I'll say more about that in a minute. But today, this reading has taken on brand new meaning. Now that we, too, know something of what it is like to endure a long absence of gathering together as God's faithful people. To fully appreciate what's recorded here in Nehemiah, it's important to rehearse just a little bit of history, and so I begin with that. In the year 587 BCE, the city of Jerusalem, the wall surrounding it, and the temple, King David's, inside it, were all destroyed by the Babylonians. For over 50 years, the city lay untouched, while most of the Jewish population was exiled in Babylon. Then, 50 years later, in the year 538, the king of Persia issued a decree allowing the Israelites to return home. Upon their return, they found everything pretty much as they had left it destroyed and in ruins, and so began the long work of restoration. The Old Testament tells us that there were two men credited with providing the leadership for the rebuilding of the wall and the temple, Nehemiah and Ezra. Our reading for today from Nehemiah takes place 100 years after the exile, and 50 years after their return home, and now just after that completed work of rebuilding. As I said, one of the things I love about this story is how it informs so much of what we do when we gather for worship. The pattern for what takes place here and in churches everywhere is recorded in this very ancient text. There are so many things in chapter 8 worth noting, and I can't cover them all in this short time, so I commend Nehemiah chapter 8 to your reading in the coming days. For now, here are five highlights. One, after the walls in the temple were rebuilt, the people, specifically men, women, and children, or as it says in the Bible, men, women, and all who could hear with understanding, came together in one place to hear the word of God read by Ezra, priest and scribe. Verse 4 tells us that Ezra read from a platform made specifically for the occasion, allowing him to be both seen and heard, and allowing him to see and hear those who were gathered. Of course, the reading of scripture has always been central to our worship, and still today, we read from a platform. The reader steps into this place, which is called the ambo, which is a Greek word meaning step, or elevation, or platform. Two. Verse five tells us that when Ezra opened the book, all the people stood up. And this they did without an invitation and without direction. It was a spontaneous response of the people of God out of respect 
for the word of God. Naturally, we do the same today. At the announcement of the gospel, we rise to our feet. And here I have to pause to note this detail. The Bible tells us that Ezra read from the break of day to midday, which means he read for a total of six hours straight, not just a few verses from a single chapter. This is noteworthy, but get this detail. Not only did the people stand for that entire time, but they were also, the Bible bothers to tell us, they were attentive for that entire time. Three, after Ezra opened the book, but before he began reading, he blessed the Lord, and the people answered, Amen, Amen. That, of course, is not unlike our exchange when the gospel is read. You know how it goes. We did it just a moment ago. The Holy Gospel, according to Luke, and the people respond, Glory to you, O Lord, and at its conclusion, praise to you, O Christ. Four. It says in verse 8, So they read from the book, the law of God, with interpretation, so that the people understood the reading. The practice of interpretation has a long history in scripture. For example, our own Saint Philip is remembered for interpreting the word of God for the Ethiopian. In the context of worship today, we might call that interpretation the sermon or homily. And finally, five. In response to the reading, we are told that all the people wept. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why they were moved to tears. And as you can imagine, scholars have all kinds of suggestions, like they were filled with guilt for having now been reminded of how far they had fallen away from God, or they were filled with grief at what their disobedience and unfaithfulness had caused. Maybe. But perhaps this is also an explanation. Maybe they wept because they were overcome with emotion by the pure privilege and gift and grace and blessing of once again being gathered together and hearing God's word read in their presence. Remember this. It's no small thing that they had been away from their city and from the temple for many long years. And this occasion marks their return to both, their return to their city, their return to their home. Of course there would be tears. Of course there would be deep emotion. Of course there would be release and relief and joy. And now we too know something of what that must have been like. We've been reminded of the great privilege we enjoy to be gathered together in person in this space to hear God's word read and proclaimed week after week. Writing in 1930s Germany, 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his classic book, Life Together, wrote these words. It is not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. He continues, it is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom that any day may be taken from us. Prior to March 2020, those words spoke to something we could barely imagine for ourselves. And yet, we found ourselves separated and isolated from one another, and we found ourselves longing to return here in person, to be together. And when we did return, we found ourselves weeping with joy. Bonhoeffer concluded, Therefore, let him who, until now, has had the privilege of living a common Christian life with other Christians, praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with other Christian brethren. Friends, our gratitude for one another and for the great grace of being gathered together as one body has taken on increased significance and importance since our time apart. Hard-earned lessons from a pandemic remind us of the blessed gift of our Christian relationships as well as the joy of the strength from the Lord. I close with these words from Ezra. After the reading and after the interpretation, six hours after he'd begun, he looked to the people and he said, go on your way, eat and drink and share portions with those who have none for this day is holy to the Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So that's it. After the people heard the word of God, read and interpreted, they were sent off to fellowship, to enjoy the company of one another and a sweet treat and a drink. Today, as you already heard, we have cake and coffee for you in Fellowship Hall. I hope that you will join us as we take this opportunity to give thanks to Justin for his ministry here as we wish him well as he moves on to the next chapter. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the word of God, for this, our church home, and for our shared fellowship in Christ Jesus. Amen.